Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather and today we will be reading and discussing chapter 12 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland entitled Alice's Evidence. But first, I want to start off today by thanking each and every person listening, especially the folks who have written reviews for this podcast because Alice is Everywhere has made it to the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. Yay! New and noteworthy is a huge deal for podcasters. Being there means that an exponentially larger number of people have the chance of stumbling upon and then hopefully listening to one's podcast. Such a delightful surprise. Mind you, I don't mean to act all flabbergasted like when someone puts up a baby video on YouTube and then it goes viral and then they're on the Today Show and they feign complete surprise and, oh my God, I never expected this to happen. And if you weren't secretly hoping for this to happen, you wouldn't have put the video on YouTube in the first place. You would have emailed it to Grandma and maybe put it on Facebook with the proper privacy settings. Anyway, I did not presume I would make it to New and Noteworthy, but I was certainly hoping to be categorized there. I've made several informed choices in the making and promoting of this podcast in a concerted effort <laughs> to make it to New and Noteworthy. So again, thank you to everyone for listening, and especially to those who left a review and or shared your opinion on the podcast on social media, because it really does help. Oddly enough, my life has not really changed since making it to New and Noteworthy. I'm not ready to retire from my other job that actually pays me money. Sponsors are not beating down my door. I just got back from the grocery store, and I'm pretty sure the cashier didn't even know that I'm New and Noteworthy. It is very nice, nonetheless. Guys, I have some terrible news. Today we are reading chapter 12, which is all well and good, except chapter 12 is the last chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Don't you hate it when your favorite book ends? I usually try to prolong it. When I'm reading one of my favorite books, I'll reread the second to last chapter a few times. I'll revisit earlier parts of the book. I'll purposely start reading really late at night in hopes of falling asleep and then convince myself that I have to start the last chapter again the next night. None of these tactics really works in this particular scenario, unfortunately. I can't imagine many of you would like episodes 12, 13, and 14 of Alice is Everywhere to be me rereading chapter 11, like boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. And so it is with a heavy heart that we must press forward to chapter 12. When we last left our hero, she had just been called as a witness in the trial of the Knave of Hearts. As Lewis Carroll wrote, imagine her surprise. Let's see what happens next. Chapter 12, Alice's Evidence Here, cried Alice, quite forgetting in the flurry of the moment how large she had grown in the last few minutes, and she jumped up in such a hurry that she tipped over the jury box with the edge of her skirt, upsetting all the jurymen onto the heads of the crowd below, and there they lay sprawling about, reminding her very much of a globe of goldfish she had accidentally upset the week before. "'Oh, I beg your pardon!' she exclaimed in a tone of great dismay, and began picking them up again as quickly as she could, for the accident of the goldfish kept running in her head, and she had a vague sort of idea that they must be collected at once and put back into the jury box or they would die." "'The trial cannot proceed,' said the king in a very great voice, "'until all the jurymen are back in their proper places. "'All,' he repeated with great emphasis, looking hard at Alice as he said so. "'Alice looked at the jury box and saw that, in her haste, "'she had put the lizard in head downwards, "'and the poor little thing was waving its tail about in a melancholy way, "'being quite unable to move. 
She soon got it out again and put it right. Not that it signifies much, she said to herself. I would think it would be quite as much use in the trial one way up as the other. As soon as the jury had a little recovered from the shock of being upset, and their slates and pencils had been found and handed back to them, they set to work very diligently to write out a history of the accident. All except the lizard, who seemed too much overcome to do anything but sit with its mouth open, gazing up into the roof of the court. "'What do you know about this business?' the king said to Alice. "'Nothing,' said Alice. "'Nothing whatever,' persisted the king. "'Nothing whatever,' said Alice. "'That's very important,' the king said, turning to the jury. They were just beginning to write this down on their slates when the white rabbit interrupted. "'Unimportant, your majesty, means, of course,' he said in a very respectful tone, but frowning and making faces at him as he spoke. "'Unimportant, of course, I meant,' the king hastily said, and went on to himself in an undertone. "'Important? Unimportant. Unimportant? Important,' as if he were trying which word sounded best. Some of the jury wrote it down important, and some unimportant. Alice could see this, as she was near enough to look over their slates. But it doesn't matter a bit, she thought to herself. At this moment, the king, who had been for some time busily writing in his notebook, called out, Silence! and read out from his book, Rule 42, all persons more than a mile high to leave the court. Everybody looked at Alice. I'm not a mile high, said Alice. You are, said the king. Nearly two miles high, added the queen. "'Well, I shan't go, at any rate,' said Alice. "'Besides, that's not a regular rule. You invented it just now.' "'It's the oldest rule in the book,' said the king. "'Well, then it ought to be number one,' said Alice. The king turned pale and shut his notebook hastily. "'Consider your verdict,' he said to the jury in a low, trembling voice. "'There's more evidence to come yet, please, your majesty,' said the white rabbit, jumping up in a great hurry. "'This paper has just been picked up.' "'What's in it?' said the queen." I haven't opened it yet, said the white rabbit, but it seems to be a letter written by the prisoner to, to somebody. It must have been that, said the king, unless it was written to nobody, which is unusual, you know. Who is it directed to, said one of the jurymen. It isn't directed at all, said the white rabbit. In fact, there's nothing written on the outside. He unfolded the paper as he spoke and added, It isn't a letter after all. It's a set of verses. "'Are they in the prisoner's handwriting?' asked another of the jurymen. "'No, they're not,' said the white rabbit. "'And that's the queerest thing about it.' The jury all looked puzzled. "'He must have imitated someone else's hand,' said the king. The jury all brightened up again. "'Please, your majesty,' said the knave. "'I didn't write it, and they can't prove that I did. There's no name signed at the end.' "'Oh, if you didn't sign it,' said the king, "'that only makes the matter worse. You must have meant some mischief.' or else you'd have signed your name like an honest man. There was a general clapping of hands at this. It was the first really clever thing the king had said all day. That proves his guilt, of course, said the queen. So, off with... It doesn't prove anything of the sort, said Alice. Why, you don't even know what they're about. Read them, said the king. The white rabbit put on his spectacles. Uh, where shall I begin, please, your majesty? Begin at the beginning, the king said very gravely, and go on till you come to the end, then stop. There was dead silence in the court whilst the white rabbit read out these verses. They told me you had been to her and mentioned me to him. She gave me a good character, but said I could not swim. He sent them word I had not gone. We know it to be true. If she should push the matter on, what would become of you? I gave her one. They gave him two. You gave us three or more. They all returned from him to you, though they were mine before. If I or she should chance to be involved in this affair, 
He trusts to you to set them free, exactly as we were. My notion was that you had been, before she had this fit, an obstacle that came between him and ourselves and it. Don't let him know she liked them best, for this must ever be a secret kept from all the rest between yourself and me. That's the most important piece of evidence we've heard yet, said the king, rubbing his hands. So now let the jury, if any one of them can explain it, said Alice. She had grown so large in the last few minutes that she wasn't a bit afraid of interrupting him. I'll give him sixpence. I don't believe there's an atom of meaning in it. The jury all wrote down on their slates. She doesn't believe there's an atom of meaning in it. But none of them attempted to explain the paper. Well, if there's no meaning in it, said the king, that saves a world of trouble, you know, as we needn't try to find any. And yet I don't know, he went on, spreading out the verses on his knee and looking at them with one eye. I seem to see some meaning in them after all. Said I could not swim. You can't swim, can you? he added, turning to the knave. The knave shook his head sadly. Do I look like it? he said, which he certainly did not, being made entirely of cardboard. All right so far, said the king, and he went on muttering over the verses to himself. We know it to be true. That's the jury, of course. If she should push the matter on, that must be the queen, what would become of you? Huh, what indeed? I gave her one, he gave him two. Why, that must be what he did with the tarts, you know. But it goes on, they all returned from him to you, said Alice. Why, there they are, said the king triumphantly, pointing to the tarts on the table. Nothing can be clearer than that. Then again, before she had this fit, you never had fits, my dear, I think, he said to the queen. Never, said the queen furiously, throwing an inkstand at the lizard as she spoke. The unfortunate little Bill had left off writing on his slate with one finger as he found it made no mark, but he now hastily began again, using the ink that was trickling down his face, as long as it lasted. Then the words don't fit you, said the king, looking round the court with a smile. There was a dead silence. It's a pun, the king added in an angry tone, and everybody laughed. Let the jury consider their verdict, the king said, for about the twentieth time that day. No, no, said the queen. Sentence first, verdict afterwards. Stuff and nonsense, said Alice loudly. The idea of having the sentence first. Hold your tongue, said the queen, turning purple. I won't, said Alice. Off with her head, the queen shouted at the top of her voice. Nobody moved. Who cares for you, said Alice. She had grown to her full size by this time. You're nothing but a pack of cards. At this, the whole pack rose up into the air and came flying down upon her. She gave a little scream, half of fright and half of anger, and tried to beat them off, and found herself lying on the bank with her head in the lap of her sister, who was gently brushing away some dead leaves that had fluttered down from the trees upon her face. Wake up, Alice, dear, said her sister. Why, what a long sleep you've had. Oh, I've had such a curious dream, said Alice. And she told her sister, as well as she could remember them, all these strange adventures of her that you have just been reading about. And when she had finished, her sister kissed her and said, It was a curious dream, dear, certainly, but now run into your tea. It's getting late. So Alice got up and ran off, thinking while she ran, as well she might, what a wonderful dream it had been. But her sister sat still, just as she left her, leaning her head on her hand, watching the setting sun, and thinking of little Alice and all her wonderful adventures, till she too began dreaming after a fashion. And this was her dream. First, she dreamed about little Alice herself. Once again, the tiny hands were clasped upon her knee, and the bright, eager eyes were looking up into hers. She could hear the very tones of her voice and see that queer little toss of her head to keep back the wandering hair that would always get into her eyes. 
and still as she listened, or seemed to listen, the whole place around her became alive with the strange creatures of her little sister's dream. The long grass rustled at her feet as the white rabbit hurried by. The frightened mouse splashed his way through the neighboring pool. She could hear the rattle of the teacups as the March Hare and his friends shared their never-ending meal, and the shrill voice of the queen ordering off her unfortunate guests to execution. Once more, the pig baby was sneezing on the duchess's knee while plates and dishes crashed around it. Once more, the shriek of the griffin, the squeaking of the lizard's slate pencil, and the choking of the suppressed guinea pigs filled the air, mixed up with the distant sob of the miserable mock turtle. So she sat on, with closed eyes, and half believed herself in Wonderland, though she knew she had but to open them again, and all would change to dull reality. The grass would be only rustling in the wind, and the pool rippling to the waving of the reeds. The rattling teacups would change to tinkling sheep bells, and the queen's shrill cries to the voice of the shepherd boy. And the sneeze of the baby, the shriek of the griffin, and all the other queer noises would change, she knew, to the confused clamor of the busy farmyard, while the lowing of the cattle in the distance would take the place of the mock turtle's heavy sobs. Lastly, she pictured to herself how this same little sister of hers would, in the aftertime, be herself a grown woman, and how she would keep through all her riper years the simple and loving heart of her childhood, and how she would gather about her other little children and make their eyes bright and eager with many a strange tale, perhaps even with the dream of Wonderland of long ago, and how she would feel with all their simple sorrows and find a pleasure in all their simple joys remembering her own child life and the happy summer days. If it sounds like I'm crying, <laughs> that's because I am. Everything's fine. Everything's great. I'm, I'm one of those people who laughs and cries very easily. I'm sure you've noticed me laughing, snickering quite often during the reading of this book. I fully expected tears at the end because for my entire adult life, the last two pages of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland always make me cry. And maybe as a child, too. I don't remember. I remember very little from my childhood, actually. When old friends say, hey, remember such and such, or remember that guy, I almost always smile and say yes, but I almost always have no idea what they're talking about. So, well, I can tell you that I remember the specific Alice book that I read as a child. It was from the Companion Library series. Maybe some of you had those growing up. It had Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass on one side, and the five little peppers and how they grew on the other side. And while I know I loved it and read it often, I can't tell you if the end made me sad or not, if I understood the magnitude of what Lewis Carroll was saying. In addition to my emotional, perhaps overly emotional, response to the material, I think the last two pages contain some of the most beautiful prose in the English language. I'm sure some of you noticed that I quoted The Great Gatsby at the beginning of today's episode. That was intentional. I mean, of course it was intentional. People didn't go around quoting F. Scott Fitzgerald accidentally. What I mean is I quoted The Great Gatsby because many readers and scholars consider Gatsby to contain some of the most beautiful language ever written, such as the closing sentence I quoted earlier, so we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Also, the opening paragraphs of Chapter 3, in which Nick describes the parties going on next door, there was music from my neighbor's house through the summer nights. In his blue garden, men and girls came and went like moths among the whisperings and the champagne and the stars. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. 
Now, it isn't a contest. There's no winner. But I believe the last two pages of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland give The Great Gatsby a run for its money in terms of sheer beauty. In case you don't have the book in front of you, like if you are driving while listening, I'm specifically speaking about, after Alice runs off for tea time, the passage beginning with, But her sister sat still, just as she left her, leaning her head on her hand, watching the setting sun. She first thinks about Alice and gives a very cute description of her head toss and the hair that gets into her eyes. And still as she listened, or seemed to listen, the whole place around her came alive with the strange creatures of her little sister's dream. And then we get the wonderful lilting description of the sounds of Wonderland, all mixed up with the distant sob of the miserable mock turtle. And this next part really gets to me. So she sat on with closed eyes, and half believed herself in Wonderland, though she knew she had but to open them again, and all would change to dull reality. Man, ain't that the truth? Isn't that why we read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, or The Great Gatsby, or Agatha Christie, or crappy romance novels, or any other book, or watch Game of Thrones on TV, or go see superhero movies? We're all Alice's sister. We're all trying to escape just a little bit. Alice's sister is old enough to know, as she opens her eyes, that rustling she hears won't be the white rabbit hurrying by. It'll just be the wind in the grass. She opens her eyes, the rattling she hears won't be the March Hare's teacups. It'll just be the tinkling of the sheep bells. And so on, etc. The lowing of the cattle in the distance will take the place of the mock turtle's heavy sobs. You know how I keep saying this part really gets to me? <laughs> well, nothing gets to me like the last paragraph. Because what happens? Alice grows up. The last thing Alice's sister imagines is Alice as a grown woman in one of the most amazing phrases ever coined, the aftertime. Alice's sister predicts, almost as if she knows for certain, that Alice will keep the simple and loving heart of her childhood, so much so that she will still be able to relate to little children, even when she's grown. She'll understand their joys and sorrows, and maybe she'll even tell them about Wonderland. And I guess that's nice. I guess it's better than Christopher Robin leaving the Hundred Acre Wood and forgetting all about Winnie the Pooh. I suppose it's better than Peter finally coming back for Wendy and it's too late. Puff the Magic Dragon. Toy Story 3. I've never even seen Toy Story 3, but it's been described to me and that was more than enough. (laughs) So many stories of children growing up and putting away childish things, and it always makes my heart ache. I actually often cry when I start to read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland at the very beginning, and I like to tell myself that, oh, I'm just so happy to be reading my favorite book again. But really, I think there are tears of relief. Alice is still there. She's still seven years old. Two sentences in, and we're falling down the rabbit hole once again. She hasn't really grown up. Everything is the same as it was before. There is no after time. There's only now in this wonderful story about to unfold. I'm always astounded when people say they find the story of Alice in Wonderland creepy. Obviously, they have not read the source material. They have not read the actual book. As I mentioned on our very first episode, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast, to share the text from the actual book. I didn't want to jump right into talking about movie versions or video games or Alice in song lyrics. I wanted to make sure we all remember the brilliance and humor of the book itself, and especially the wistful beauty of these last five paragraphs. 
I want to make sure I didn't say beauty or beautiful too much during this episode, so I actually got out a thesaurus. And the most accurate synonym I could come up with was pulchritude, but I just couldn't bring myself to use it. That just seemed really obnoxious. You may be wondering about Alice's sister at this point. Alice's sister in the book seems quite a bit older, right? At least a teenager, maybe even older than that. She seems to be old enough to understand the unbearable heaviness of being that only comes with adulthood. In this way, the book, much like how Lewis Carroll was not actually a dodo bird, it differs from real life. Lorena Little, or Ina as her family called her, it's Ina, right? Not Ina? Ina sounds weird, even though I think the pronunciation of the full name is Lorena. Anyway, in real life, Lorena was Alice's older sister, but she was only three years older than Alice. Lorena was named after her mother, by the way, so there were two Lorena Littles in the family. So Lorena was only three years older than Alice, so we can assume, at least I assume, that is not who Lewis Carroll was picturing with her head on her hand daydreaming of Wonderland. I've often wondered if the older sister character in the book is more like Miss Prickett, the little children's nanny. And I'm not even kidding you, their nanny was named Miss Prickett. How Victorian is that? Lewis Carroll saw Miss Prickett quite often over the years. There's a theory that Miss Prickett is actually the mouse in chapter three, or chapter two and three, I guess. Uh, that theory comes from the man who edited Lewis Carroll's diaries, Roger Lancelin Green. But I don't believe he ever came across anything concrete regarding that. That's just his theory. Guys, I'm aware that there is more to chapter 12 than the final five paragraphs, which is all we've talked about today. However, I think if I start at the beginning of the chapter and talk about it chronologically like we usually do, I'm going to go way over what I have somewhat arbitrarily set as my time limit. So next week, we will talk about the rest of chapter 12, the trial and Alice's evidence. And we will also go over some facts from preceding chapters that I either didn't have time to mention, didn't think to mention, or didn't want to mention because I didn't want to give away any spoilers before we'd finish the actual book. What are you guys thinking? Were you surprised by the ending? Do you have any burning questions about any characters, anything that happened earlier in the book? If so, please email me at heather at aliceseverywhere.com or reach out on social media. I would love to answer some listener questions during future episodes. Thanks for listening to all of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, everybody. The book is over, but the podcast abides. Talk soon. <laughs>